Welcome to Honest Conversations, a podcast that was envisioned to bring unedited thoughts inside the education system. My name is Carmen Darville, known to my work peeps as CRD, and I'm your host, a wife, mom of two, and the chief of staff at Yes Prep Public Schools. Today, I'm back again with Sarah Landsman, a fellow teammate and our managing director of advocacy. Just as before, she knows the politics, she still hates my sports analogies, and she joined Yes within the past year and has been moving and shaking ever since. She's still out here connecting, researching, and creating agency. She's so nice, we're going back to back. Let's welcome Sarah Landsman to the second episode of a special two-part lineup on our legislative session currently underway. Landsman, ready to knock out part two of two? Ready. Okay, tell me something you know to be true before we get started. I know that it's true that charters and ISDs do not have to be adversaries, that we can coexist and uh, be mutually beneficial in the public education space. Double down. So across the state, almost 360,000 students attend a public charter. Yes, PrEP alone serves over 15,000 students in Houston. How do these students end up at our door? Welcome to the Honest Conversations podcast. So last time we sat down with Sarah Landsman, we busted some myths about charter schools, but we only scratched the surface. Today we'll be getting into the myths around our students. Who goes to charter schools? How do they get there? Are they better off for it? So let's start with the who. What does the average charter school student look like? So the short answer is that charters in Texas serve the underserved. Um, at Yes Prep, where over half of our student body is at risk, about 89% economically disadvantaged. And this is something that you see across charters, high at-risk rates, high economically disadvantaged rates. It's also true that charters serve greater proportions of minority students than ISDs uh, across the board. So charters serve the underserved. How do they get to charters in the first place? Something we hear pretty often from anti-charter advocates is that charters cherry pick students. This is probably, aside from charters steal money from ISDs, which we covered in the last episode, this is, this is one of the top myths that you hear. It's fundamentally untrue. First off, it's illegal. Uh, charters in Texas are required to have open enrollment. And starting uh, with last session, even the application that they use for enrollment is common to all to all charters. So unlike some magnet schools, unlike some private schools, you don't have to test in to a charter school. If the seat is open, that's your seat. If not, it's a lottery process from there. Um, there's a nuanced argument that some people make that because uh, charters are opt-in, you're, you're, you know, you're zoned to your ISD, but charters are opt-in. Some people say that these students are more engaged, their parents are more proactive, they're choosing to go to a charter school, so by just that sheer fact, we're getting better students. First off, this doesn't come out true in, in the demographics of who attends a charter school, but um, there's also, there was a really good study done in this book called Charters and Their Enemies that talked about how charter lotteries are this real natural experiment because if that were true, you know, you have all of these students that apply to lotteries. 
not every kid gets in. Not every, there's not space for every kid. So if that were true, all of the students who are denied and go back to their ISD should be performing better than the students who never applied to the lottery in the first place. But that's not true. So we know there's nothing special about a student who applies to, and even that word apply is kind of misleading, but a student who enrolls in a charter isn't fundamentally different or better than the students who are zoned to the ISDs. So all I could think of as you were talking through that is about GT programming. Gifted and talented programming in public schools sounds very similar. (laughs) Right, which I actually was denied for GT in the third grade. Look at you now. (laughs) I know. Show them. (laughs) (laughs) So it's so interesting, right? Isn't gifted and talented programming cherry-picking students actually? Right, and you talk about uh, like busing kids over to magnet schools, all of these things. You know, there's there's already a lot of this happening in the public education landscape. It's it's not happening at charters. In fact, legislation just moved out of committee that would allow charters to have a weighted lottery. Um, right now, we're only allowed to put preferences on based off of if you have a parent who works at the school or if you have a sibling. This bill would allow for weighted lotteries, right? So based off of this logic, if charters are as nefarious as everyone's saying, it would be like, oh, the best students get this weighted lottery. No, what charter advocates are asking for, these certain advocates with this bill, it's increased English language learners, special education student, and uh, educationally disadvantaged students. So in the in the small cases where charters are asking for preference, they're asking for preference to serve more underserved students, not give us the best of the best. And in the underserved, we find some of the best of the best Absolutely. consistently. So we additionally hear that when disadvantaged kids come to charters or underserved students come to charters, they are over-disciplined and eventually kicked out. We know that's not the case. Right. I I mean, definitely not the case at yes. Um, That's why we established our Thrive program, so that, you know, when a child chooses us, we never unchoose them. Uh, Even in severe cases of discipline, they're able to go to our Discipline Alternative Education program. Um, But yes is the only charter in Texas that has that sort of program, so we're not having to expel students. We can send them to what's called a DAEP. But so you would expect that if this narrative were true across Texas, other charters without something like Thrive, which does such a good job for our kids, they would have higher rates of expulsions. But that's that's also not true. Um, you see about 50 percent fewer in school suspensions <laughs> um, in public charters than in ISDs. They also have lower overall discipline rates, about 7 percent lower. So this is something that's not verified by by data. So just as with any other school, students come to charters voluntarily. They aren't disciplined out, contrary to the narrative we often hear. So how do they do once they're actually with us? Again, data is going to come out in favor of charters. Their charters are figuring out how to serve their students really well. Um, you see higher achievement rates across campuses, definitely at Yes Prep, but also particularly among our black and brown students. And the average high-performing ISD, white students meet grade-level standards at a rate 24 points higher than black students. They're also going to be meeting those standards 10 percentage points uh, more likely than Hispanic students. At charters, the black-white achievement gap is narrowed 71%. And in the case of Hispanic students, it's actually reversed in that Hispanic students tend to meet uh, grade-level standards 5% more often than their white counterparts. Um, Even at the best ISDs, charters have unlocked something that 
figured out how to get these students to the potential that they always had. So for our non-Texas listeners, (laughs) ISDs are independent school districts, which from where I come from in Ohio, we didn't have such a thing. That almost sounds like a private entity. Oh, what was it called? Just public schools. Oh. Public well, school yeah. districts. <laughs> um, but we know Texas likes to do its own thing. So generally speaking, what do you think charters are worth? I think it's what do you think education is worth? Um, because for a student who's family decided that a charter was a better fit for them. It charged worth everything, right? They were getting a subpar education wherever they were. Maybe the school that they were at, that they were zoned to, wasn't doing a good job. Maybe that that, that student just wasn't a good fit there. Um, and the school was great, but they needed something different, something better. Um, and for those kids, and if, you know, over 15,000 kids in Yes Prep, their families have made that choice for them that were a better fit. Uh, they're worth everything. So I also believe education is everything. It's a foundational piece of who we become in our life. And it's also being upended in real time, thanks to the pandemic. I don't think education will ever be what it was circa two years ago. Um, So I'm curious, what role do you think charters will play? I know you talked in our previous episode about how charters were born for innovation and to do things differently, to have some additional flexibility. What role do you think we need to play now, we should play now, given how the educational landscape is rapidly evolving? Yeah, I think charters are already delivering on that promise of being innovative sort of engines for all the entire public education sector. Um, And in this pandemic, just more so, right? We're able to pivot faster, respond quicker, and that's that's how we were designed, right? So when problems come up, we can move a lot faster than ISDs. We're testing centers, right, for um, innovation, for best practices, and ultimately what we believe is that those best practices spill back over to ISDs, and, and you see that, and you know, you had charters coming on, on the scene in 1995, getting uh, better and better, and now, uh, you know, since then, We've seen not only do um, ISDs that have charters in their zone areas have higher achievement rates, but also you see things like 1882 partnerships, which is a, was a bill that was passed that allows charters and ISDs to partner. Yes, Prep has two of these partnerships and kind of share. There's like an osmosis right there of best practices so that we can learn from each other. You see innovation districts coming from the HB3 reforms last year. What we're seeing is a changing landscape and charters are able to be the breeding ground for a lot of that great innovation. So, I mean, I think when we talk about the responsibility that the charters have in the educational landscape, given how we were born, it also means if we aren't agile and we aren't trying new things, I don't think we are holding up our end of the deal. Right. So as we think about education being different from this point forward, I challenge charters both in the Houston area and across our nation to actually step up to the challenge and not white knuckle the past of what education used to be. Right, right. So when I think of Rowan's teacher, for example, or Cooper's teacher, I mean, Mrs. Robertson and Miss Letty are godsends. Like, I just want all students to have a choice available to them that gifts them with the incredible education that they deserve. Mm -hmm. Do you think school choice will get the traction it deserves in our lifetime? We'll see. (laughs) Um, 
some things are going to have to become true. Uh, I think it, that needs to happen. What it's going to require of um, advocates and lawmakers, um, stakeholders, is a little bit of humility. Because what we saw is that charters, they came on the scene as this experiment. And what we've seen across the nation, in Texas is definitely true, but it's true across the nation, that charters are delivering on the promises, that they're uh, across the board, achievement rates are higher, professional development is better, that is something really great happening in the charter space. We have a lot of people who are stuck in opposition to charters on these sort of philosophical lines. Um, And as we get further and further into uh, the results, these philosophical arguments start to fall apart because it's black and white, these facts, right? So what what has to happen is that we need lawmakers who are humble enough to say, you know what, and we have some. Um, Chairman Harold Dutton right now in Texas is a great example of this. Started very anti-charter for philosophical reasons. Was like, I support my community schools. So do we. He went to charters in his district years ago and wasn't able to deny the great work that they were doing. And that's, that takes a real act of humility from a leader to say, like, hey, this is something I wasn't about, but I went to the campuses and I saw how, what good work they're doing. And so I, I've decided to take a step back and reverse some of these decisions. The study that I referred to in my last in, in our last episode around funding, this the researcher who conducted that study went into that research expecting to prove that charters were stealing money from ISDs. Went in, got the data, said, you know what, I'm not coming out of this lying. I have to tell the truth. My hypothesis was wrong. Charters are actually increasing per student funding for ISDs. It's that kind of humility that says like, you know what, we, we were getting real, we were getting real partisan. We were getting real intense with this thing. But at the end of the day, facts are facts. Our charters are doing good work, and we have we have to be able to admit that. And I think it's it's an imperfect model. Just as you have your zone schools that don't come through, you will have charters that don't come through. Right. But I think what we're talking about is choice and the ability for a family, if a school is not meeting their need, to have another free option to pursue for their child to get an excellent education. I think so much of this conversation is about both and, not either or. Right. Um, And that's fundamentally what choice is about. Right, right, absolutely. And that's why you started this by saying charters and ISDs do not have to be in opposition to each other. I mean, we, we love our partnership schools and we love the ISDs that surround our schools. We can't serve all of Houston, but some students need yes prep. Some students need what we're offering. They're not going to thrive where they're at. And, and we all just need to be okay with that, that we're, we're, we can coexist and we can be good for each other. Absolutely. I think ideal state, we can do more than coexist and we can actually work together um, as proven with the partnerships that we work through right now to serve more kids. So we adjust ourselves to fit, to adapt to others' ideas of who we should be. We shift ourselves not in sweeping pivots, but in movements so tiny that they are hardly perceptible even in our view. Years can pass before we finally discover that after handing over our power, piece by small piece, we no longer even look like ourselves. I think it's so important to be open to change as someone who was a staunch anti-charter person, because I believe that all kids should have an opportunity for an excellent education and strong teachers. I had to change my position. I agree. Landsman, thanks for joining us for this two-part series. Uh, Good luck in the rest of the session. 
Thanks. As the first majority minority city in our country, it's time to set the example. Let's lead Houston forward.